Hi everyone, I'm Lisa. And I'm Nick. And you're listening to It Takes Two, the podcast where two people take two movies with the same plot or premise and watch and discuss them. And in this episode, we watched Lion King One and a Half and Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Yes. Um, did I do better this time? You did. <laughs> you're spoiling the, the facade here <laughs> that we've had to re-record this intro. Um, yeah, so Lion King One and a Half is basically... Um, Disney's answer to Rosecrans and Guildenstern are dead, and it fits in with the fact that we've just done two. Well, we have we we've just done a fun episode, but before that, we've done two liking episodes. Yes. Um. So why not finish off the trilogy yeah, of just, sorts? Just Disney stealing um, William Shakespeare's work to make to make movies out of it. Yeah. Well, Rosecrans and Guildenstern was someone else. Was Tom Stoppard stealing William Shakespeare's work? So now Disney are stealing Tom Stoppard's fan fiction of Shakespeare. So instead of the circle of life, it's the circle of theft. Yes, yeah. yes. Or plagiarism. Absolutely. Yeah. Tom Stoppard notably also uh, wrote Shakespeare in Love. Oh, God. Yeah. I didn't enjoy that movie. Anyway, <laughs> we're pretty rambly already. Um, yes, I feel like it's going to be a relatively short episode. It doesn't feel like there's a whole lot to discuss in these, but... No, because... The tones of both the movies are vastly different, even though they are based around the same sort of characters. Yes. Um, the uh, Timon and Pumbaa Strikes Back is very similar to, I think, in my mind, they very much ripped off um, Mystery Science Theater 3000. Yes, 100%. Um, being that they have themselves in the audience watching themselves in a movie and then going, no, we have to skip through and no, we have to go back and making like jokes the entire time. Yeah, so it's very much kind of framed as, from the, from the beginning or initially, it's framed as Timon and Pumbaa doing their DVD commentary of The Lion King, the first movie. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, well, let's let's actually talk about how we were in it the whole time, secretly. You know, what we were doing during this scene. Yeah, and it reminds me of... Uh, did you watch Community at all? I don't yes. Remember, yeah. Oh, I never got to the end of it, but I, at one point in my life I'd watched maybe three seasons of Community. Did you see the episode with uh, Jack Black in it? I don't remember. Oh, okay, because there's an episode with Jack Black in it, and oh, they're trying yeah, to find they, an extra friend. Yeah. It, it, it's like he's been in the background the whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah, think yeah. that's very much... I feel like that is a reference to probably Rosenberg's Guild and Dead as yeah, well. Yeah, um, yeah. so tonally, um, obviously, you know, voice acting alone um, can't bring it through, but I, in comparison to watching Lion King 2... The budget felt better, maybe because they were using a lot of the old footage, but it's just very bizarre to me that you go from a sequel to try and make more profit on the original IP and just make it shitter yeah. for so making it with lower budget to try and get some more money out of the same thing. And then we get this weird sequel, prequel, you know, um, thing. Uh, Par- parallel quill. <laughs> yeah, parallel quill. Uh, uh, Rebel, um, Rogue One sort of esque movie. Yeah. And it's better quality done. The line work was done. The animation was done just in, in a in a um, more crisp. And there were some bits where it felt like it faded out a little bit. But then it like it wasn't so jarring as when we watched Lion King yes. two. 
that I was making mental notes of it through the entire movie. Yeah, I was thinking this as well when we were watching it because um, I think very much, I think they wanted to use archive footage from the first film and to do that, they, they needed to, to have, it, yeah. yeah, they needed to have quality that matched it. But we actually talked about this a little bit in the um, Lion King 2 episode that um, they did something very similar with the Aladdin trilogy, that the middle one is the one that is known to be bad, worse animation, worse, you know, they, they didn't have Robin Williams in it, the songs are terrible, and then the third one is actually really much more beautiful to look at and much more interesting to watch. Yeah. Um, though I don't know that I'd necessarily say that Lanky One and a Half is more interesting to watch. <laughs> no, it, it just, for me... Like, they introduce new characters, and we'll get into my headcanon, which I came up with. Um, oh, God. We're going to get into that. During during watching it. Um, you, were, you, were, you were making the movie more interesting for yourself by making by do, basically writing fan fiction of it while it was happening? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to have to do a shortcut. Um, RGAD, because um, I'm not going to be able to say that, like, multiple times without not screwing it up. Um, oh, Rose and Crimson Guild and Sir Dead. What I what I mashed it into in my head, and I think I found it on like a Gary Oldman fan community in the mid two thousands. Of course, was um, Rosengill, but maybe that's a, that might be a fan fiction shipping name. Okay, and I've just shown my true colors. <laughs> yes, the person who is not allowed to use uh, Gary Oldman when it comes to six degrees of separation because you just instantly win. Yeah. Um, so R- Rosengill works. Yeah. For me, as a shortening. Rosengill. Some people might hate us for it. That's fine. That. Uh, you can put it in the comments below. Um, tonally, much better movie. Uh, cinematography. Like, I was expecting... I, I have a thing about genre... Not genre jumping, media jumping. Mm. Um, you know, uh, movies based on video games always suck. Um... Games based on movies always suck. Like, there's no, you know, there may be one or two. Like, I think maybe the first Resident Evil movie is okay. But, you know, there's, you know, that's probably it. Maybe there is. I have rewatched them. No, no, I have rewatched them. No, they're, they're, they're popcorn bullshit. I can't be bothered watching anything else movies. This, on the other hand, felt way more fleshed out, um, being that it was based on a play. Mm-hmm. Um, the acting in it is fantastic. Um, two of my favourite actors from yeah. the era where they were just absolute powerhouses uh, of, of Gary Oldman and, and Tim Roth. Um, Rufus Dreyfus is in it as well, which he's also fantastic in it. Um, a very young... Um, is it Ian Kane? Ian Glenn? Ian Glenn. Um, for Game those, of Yeah, Game of Thrones fame. Um, just everything, the tone of the movie, the cinematography was really well done. It was quite jarring. Obviously, we did it last time with a fun episode, going from an animated movie to watching a live-action movie. But, mm. you know, if this was the movie they're basing the, the, the Lion King one and a half on, like, they missed everything that made it interesting and it's, yeah. it's not a dig it's just an observation as a person who hadn't watched neither of the movies um it was just like tonally it was 
not too dark for children. I'm not saying I'd recommend, you know, you'd be like, oh, well, you know, kid's bored. He's not, he's watched all of, I don't know, Arthur or I don't know what's new. <laughs> don't think people, kids are watching Arthur these Powerpuff days. Powerpuff Rangers. Um, <laughs> you know, and you're like, oh, we'll put this movie on. I'm just saying like the, it wasn't so dark. The darkness comes from your own mind trying to grab at answers rather than what's shown. It's it's you're being shown, not told, which is great narrative work. Mm. And it becomes this weird mystery that's sort of ongoing. Um, because basically they the, the 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 opening of this movie is fantastic for a movie I'd never seen. Yeah. Um sorry I'm rambling a bit, but it's fine. It's alright. Um I'd seen I think I'd seen both these before. I've, yeah. Actually, watching like one and a half, I had like very little recollection of it, but I'm pretty sure I caught like some of it on the Disney Channel once. Yeah. Uh, but I've, I'm very familiar with Rosalind's Guild and Dead. So yeah. you you continue your ramble. The the whole sequence where they're trying to like there's one of the ongoing. I don't know. Have you seen the play? Uh, I've actually seen my brother perform a version of the play. I've I've read the play. Oh, yeah. um, Are they actually, testing physics? Through the entire play? No. Or is that just in the movie? So it's interesting because um, the movie, the, the play was adapted for screen by Tom Sopper, the original playwright. Yeah. And he directed the film. Yeah. Um, so he, I think what he said, I don't, he, from what I've heard, he's not 100% happy with it. But, but what he said was he made changes because he was the only person allowed to give his own work that kind of disrespect. Makes sense. Um, <laughs> so he, but he used, because it's a visual medium where you can have all these kind of visual gags happening. I mean, not that stage isn't. Um, I think, you know, I, th- there's definitely in the play, there's definitely these hints that Rosencrantz isn't as stupid as he seems. Yeah. Um, because the whole kind of riff on them is that Gildenstern is more analytical um, so it's just kind of assumed that he's like the more intelligent woman, but they're both pretty stupid. Yeah. And at the same time, Rosencrantz does actually have like a level of intelligence or that just it goes completely over people's heads because he's not, um, you know, vocalizing it yeah. so much. So he's, um, he's, he's a Pumbaa. Exactly. Yeah. So they, um, yeah, so they, so I feel like. They added a, a, a decent amount. I can't. I feel like maybe a couple of them are in the play. It's been a while since I read it, but I think they like added a bunch of stuff to it to have these like visual gags and stuff to be like, here's here's a hundred times that um, Rosencrantz is on the brink of a scientific discovery and no one listens to him. Yeah. No. The the yeah the the probability um, of flipping a coin and getting a heads a hundred and seventy something times. Which was like the the beginning part, and there's just the existential dread that they're feeling of like, what do you remember? Yeah. Like, what's the first thing you remember? No, nah, it's too long ago. No, no, no. Literally, the fir- after all that, what's the first thing you remember? Oh, there was a messenger. Yeah, yeah. How did we get here? Like, yeah. what's going on? And they're like, uh, uh, let's just go to the place we're supposed to be going to. It's like, why are we going mm-hmm. there? Like, and all of this, and the the the, the players turning up. And then being on stage, and then the scenes changing. Like, I'd love to see the play now. Um, yeah. But just 
absolutely fantastically done. We can like, we can we can find a way to watch it. I discovered um, it looks like um, a recent or relatively recent. Um, I think West End. No, not West End. Um, I don't know. It might have been Globe Theatre production of it, starring Daniel Radcliffe in one of the lead roles. Was oh, okay. was filmed. So we we'll see if we can get our hands on that to watch it, and you can watch a Sorry. stage version of it. It's yeah. A, yeah, really, really good play. It's yeah, it's very interesting because it's obviously, um, you know, the idea is in a Hamlet, um, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern just show up a handful of times, um, and they're always doing what they've been told to do. Yeah. Um, so they come across, I think, as maybe malicious, or whatever, because you don't know what their intent is because they're just doing what whoever was last speaking to them told them to do. Right. And then, you know. They're gone for a while, and then at the end, when everyone is every spoiler alert, it's Hamlet. Everyone knows this. At the end, when everyone is dead, the messenger comes in and is like, "Oh, my! I've brought the news from England. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead." And yeah. you're like, "What? Like why? <laughs> why does that matter?" So Tom Stoppard has taken these characters and a throwaway line, and then built an entire yeah. And it's yeah. this, and it's this idea of like, you know, what if they were always doing what they were told because literally because they only exist in this context and they can't, they can't and so they spent the whole play trying to figure out why they're there what they're doing how they get out of here how do they get back to having a normal life what is a normal life you know yeah. um and there's also the other thing with productions of hamlet is, a, is that every time or it's like tradition that every time rosencrantz and guildenstern are on stage they've swapped roles right yeah um so you get that whole you know existential part to it that like they're not sure which of them is which yeah and there's the first time they introduce themselves they introduce to the rosencrantz and introduces them to the players and he's like i'm guildenstern this is rosencrantz and guildenstern just as a little like head shake and he's like i'm rosencrantz he's guildenstern i'm rosencrantz um but then every time i think hamas the only one who addresses them correctly but every other time they meet someone they get them wrong yeah. and then someone else corrects them yeah. so that they're always being both addressed by both names just to be doubly confusing uh, the thing that I really enjoyed um, more I'll, I'll give you I'll give you an example um, viewers at home I'll, I'll tell you a little what I have an issue with um, the the dialogue between Timon and Pumba mm-hmm. is Timon setting up a joke, Pumba giving him the the beginning of the punchline, and then him ending it, and it feels like it's just two writers in a room brainstorming. Yeah. Where the dialogue in um, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead is everything is very quippy, they're very quick, everything is like... Boom, 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 boom. And you're laughing from a joke that was lined up 30 seconds ago, but the payoff is now halfway through the next joke, and it is just fantastically done. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, yeah. Am I, am I on the right ball here? Yeah, yeah, I understand. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's a scene where they play tennis, but they're doing questions and answers. Mm. So if you answer with a statement or a double up or uh, or a, a, a rhetorical it? question, rhetorical or the or a non sequitur where you've gone into a different topic, yeah, 
you you lose a point and then playing tennis to each other was just absolutely fantastic yeah because it was so punchy and so well done and the like because obviously the budget for me it just felt very low obviously they'd gotten um a like a, a space that they could film in and they're using the same couple of rooms over and over mm. again and the techniques they've used to show that they're just as confused is fantastic because they're walking into a room and then coming out the other side of it and then they're like we're lost and then like people and then there's you're drawn into the sequence and i think it's probably related to being a f- play mm-hmm. because obviously you can't do a lot of set changes because otherwise it's jarring for the audience right, like right. hang on guys we just have to change out like ninety-seven thousand things hang on like yeah it's not circus to slay but um, it's clever because they also have a set change with them still on stage yes, in, in this yes. like so there's a bit where they're on like this they've met the players outdoors and they're standing on the player stage and then suddenly they're inside yeah and like it's just like the curtain falls on them and then and we're indoors and you know stuff is happening they're in the middle of a scene that happens i think off off camera well not off camera off stage in hamlet yeah um and then they're just kind of looking around like because the, you know, the cut is so jarring, but then they're just standing there and they're looking around like, how do, how do we yeah. get here? Did we just teleport? But they, but then they just kind of accept it. It's it reminds me, and maybe it's just because we've rewatched it so recently, but it reminds me a bit of Inception of the like, you know, how, how do we get? Yeah, how did we get here? Yeah. Do you remember actually yeah. coming to this place? You know, and it's like that's you just you're you have that dreamlike state of like, oh, we were always there, which is yeah. what that, you know, they're trying to get to, and they've obviously realized that they're both in this. But even, you know, they were sent for because they're Hamlet's friends from from childhood. And yeah. they, but they don't remember that. Yeah. Um, and they're just trying to get out the whole time. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. So, um, I think we've focused a lot on, uh, on uh, the good movie. Let's go back <laughs> to uh, Lion King. Um, one and a half. Yeah. Um, so, to me... Less about boyard chums. Mm. It is about an interracial gay couple who an adopt an abandoned orphan. Yes. And uh, without being that I have like you know I, I'm a, a very close friend who who is uh, Jewish. Um, okay. It came off to me being that I've, I've observed his relationship with his family and obviously you know there's there's. Um, uh, which Stiller is it? Sorry, uh, Jerry. Jerry Stiller playing his uncle. Mm-hmm. Um, the Meerkats came off as as a Jewish community to me. Um, him being the the very overloved child by his single mother, his uncle always being there trying to give him advice, but very sternly. Um, the overwhelm of dread that the community feel like they're being constantly prosecuted, and then him having been like being sort of ousted out of the community because he doesn't fit in. And there's a lot that I've seen within the Jewish community in New Zealand that is very similar, where you just don't fit in. You're like, oh, bye, like, you don't come to temple. Um, and it was just interesting for me because in my mind I was just like, oh, yeah, the, the you know, the, she might as well just said, you know, some Yiddish in there and it would have just been perfect. Um, I think the archetype for me of the interracial couple adopting a um, orphan 
It's been overused maybe a little bit because um, it's basically the entire premise of um, the uh, of Force Awakens about an interracial couple who adopt an Asian child who is then running away from a white guy with a burning cross. What? <laughs> Force Awakens. <laughs> That's the plot of the Force Awakens. Yes, this is the plot of Force Awakens. Oh my god, okay. Do you need, is, it, is it you're all my godding because all the pieces are falling into place, or you're all my godding no, is because I'm insane? Both. I can understand. Insane. I mean, I, can, I know which what you're describing, yeah. but I would never describe it that way. Fair enough. Um. Yeah, it's interesting because obviously in Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, and in Hamlet originally, um, those characters grew up with Hamlet. Yeah. Whereas in the Lion King series, they essentially raised him, but he was still a cub when he met them. Yeah. And, um, they raised him. Yeah. And then they're you know all sleeping in the same bed together, and Timon and Pumbaa share a same-sex kiss in a Disney yeah. movie yeah. in the early two thousands. You take that. Buzz Lightyear or whatever the hell it was that got <laughs> hate on Twitter because people are morons. Um, yeah, it's, it's also uh, also well also uh, sorry I know you're also alsoing but I was gonna say more importantly to the whole this whole theory is the fact that Timon is voiced by Nathan Lane who is yes. like openly gay man. Yeah. Also the fact that he's only he only. Um, the whole like Kuna Matata see more than what you can see with your eyes yeah and this whole concept of him going to go find himself mm -hmm. and he only finds himself when he's in this relationship and it's like kind of beautifully sad um but the point I was going to make um which I've now lost because you 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 also also'd me oh no um what did I say before you we also also'd you just said also I was talking and then you said also oh right what were you talking about sorry um, them raising Simba and sharing it openly, we're a same-sex Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. calling out uh, Disney right now. Um, <laughs> the inability for you, Disney, to make Poe Dameron and Finn gay for each other was really disappointing as a straight man who loves used to love Star Wars. Maybe the EU is still, like, Mandalorian is fantastic. Mm. Book of Boba Fett was fine. wasn't great. It was just more like, let's put Mandalorian in there because otherwise it's going to, everybody wants Mandalorian. Um, we all know how we feel about Kenobi. Um, cash grab. Um, but, yeah, just having, having, yeah, having this, where it seems to be, like, a big deal, and I don't understand it, like, my generation is the generation who was just like, shut the fuck up, gay people are real, like, deal with it. Mm -hmm. And now we're sort of going backwards where, like, we had... I grew up watching so many shows with, like, like Will and Grace. Um, well, Will and Grace was, like... You know, a real outlier at the time. Yeah, um, I can't remember the lady's name, and I used to watch her all the time, and I had no problem with it as a kid because bigotry is taught, um, not natural. Because mm -hmm. um, Ellen was Ellen's show ended, uh, I think. No, yeah, okay. Ellen nowadays not a person to talk about, but at the time, Ellen in her sitcom was, um, you know, the first 
beloved sitcom character to come out as openly gay. Yeah. Um, and then it kind of tanked afterwards. So it was a real big risk for them to do Will and Grace. Yeah. Um, and apparently, originally, they were going to have them as just, like, side characters and have it focus on, like, a heterosexual couple. Yeah. And then they were like, no, that's, you know, or I think a whole lot of networks turned it down because there was a, there was gay people in it. And then the one that picked it up was like, I like this concept, but let's make them the main characters. Yeah. <laughs> let's cut this stuff out and let's have, let's focus on these people. Because do you, if I said Dane, Dane Edna to you, do you know who I'm talking about? Dame Edna Everidge? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, okay, good. I used to love this shit. Like, I used to watch it all the time. Um, she what? was in Ally McBeal for a while. Yeah. Um, Ally McBeal was a weird show. It's just, it's just weird to me. But anyway, yes. Um, yeah, there's a di- difference between the two characters. And I think, you know, Timon um, and Pomba finding each other. Timon getting a massive flushed out backstory, but Pomba just going like, I just fart and no one likes me. Yeah, it was really weird. Um, because, like, the whole beginning of the movie ended up being Timon's backstory, which we didn't even need to know about, to be yeah. perfectly honest. Except for you, so you can write your Jewish Timon fan fiction. Um, but, uh, it's not fan fiction, it's headcanon. I, I just thought that they just like kind of recycled Flick from A Bug's Life a little bit. Yeah. That he was, you know, the one that was trying to do creative stuff but failing everything and wasn't set out to do the menial tasks that everyone else was doing and blah, blah, blah and had to go off by himself. Yeah. Um, Except in the end, he brings the meerkats to where him and Pumbaa now live, rather than the other way around. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I just didn't understand why they needed to do a whole fleshed-out Timon backstory. And then especially when Pumbaa's backstory is just the throwaway bit in Hakuna Matata from the first movie, where yeah. he just was a young warthog that used to fart around, fart, and people didn't want to be around him. I did like the part where he's like, I don't do well in crowds, and then yeah. farts, and then the rhinoceroses fall over, and all the other animals, where they're all surrounding Pride Rock, while Simba's being held up by Rafiki, is like, oh, they're all bowing, let's all bow to Yeah, yeah, it's, it's like, like, oh, the rhinos are bowing, let's bow. Yeah, yeah. I like that, because, yeah, because that, that's the start of, like, a whole sequence of, you know, where they actually do the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern and stuff. Yeah. Kind of, because it's like them, suddenly, it's them interacting with a whole lot of scenes from the first movie where you see it from their perspective and they don't know what's going on and it's a bit weird and they're like, you know, and you know, they've knocked down the pile of animals during Just Can't Wait to Be King. Yeah. Um and then they were in the gorge when the stampede came through and, you know. Yeah, they're sort of like just in the background off camera throughout all the like major plot points right yeah, up until yeah. they're introduced. Yeah. And was... you get that in Rosecrans and Guildenstern are dead because you do get them being in the room when there's other stuff going on that happens in Hamlet that they're not there for and they're kind of like what's yeah. going on it's like why is why are you know Claudius and um Philon- or no what's his name the oh, it doesn't matter why are they why are they having this conversation what's happening and you know and then um or Ophelia and the whatever you know there's just all this stuff happening that they're just kind of like looking at because they ended up there and then they're like real awkward and trying to get away from it the physical comedy um comes off much better than it did in uh, Lion King because mm. you know obviously with cartoon characters um and anything animated you can sort of juggle with physics in a way where they can do things that would 
be very painful in reality yeah. or be physically impossible. Um, and I think the physical comedy of um, just the, the portrayal with Tim Roth and um, Gary Oldman just works so much better. Just uh, um, not just visually, like viscerally, it just feels like just... It's not slapstick. It's not um, in, a, in a way that I would feel is taking anything away. But mm. it ju it's just like the little bit of salt and pepper that it needed. Just to, you know, just to sprinkle on top. You yeah. know, it's in the dish. Yeah. You just need a little bit more when it's done cooking. I think they work really well together as, yeah, well, as yeah. actors. Because um, the second film they'd been in together. Because they were in a... Like a British indie film called um, Meantime, in I think it's like '83 or something. Okay. Um, and then, of course, you'd know that. Yeah, so I have it on DVD. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, but I think those are those I think those are the only two things they've been in together, which right. is a shame because they're both fantastic actors, and I, I you know I'd happily watch them be in more films together, even you know nowadays, which is thirty years on from that. Um, but uh, yeah, it's interesting because I think at the time that Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead was made, um, they were both they had both started to become quite big actors. Yeah. Um, and were I think largely doing serious stuff or like um, films where they were villains and things. So it was unusual for them to do like a comedy together. Um. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting with, um, oh, that was me. Um, it was interesting watching being, you know, knowing other works had done, like Gary Oldman, I like could, you know, name five Gary Oldman movies you have to watch before you die kind of BS. Right, I thought you were going to say you could only name five Gary Oldman movies, and I was like, but I've seen like 58 of them. Yeah, I know you have. <laughs> um, this is why you're not allowed to use Gary Oldman. Um... The he's just very good for six degrees of separation. Okay, on, on that subject, which is your favorite performance by Gary uh, Oldman? By Gary Oldman? Yeah. Um, I'm. I've always been. I mean, this is a cop out answer for me, probably, but I've always been a fan of um, Norman Stansfield and Leon. I knew you were going with Leon. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny because. You don't have a majority, or you don't have many of your your collection um, here in the NZ, obviously, because yeah. it's a stupid thing to travel with. Mm. Um, yeah, especially before I had like a you know residency. Yeah. yeah. Um, the there are only a couple of double ups in the collection now, mm -hmm. which is we've got. Three copies of Leon. Yes. And then several copies of Lord of the Rings. Yes. <laughs> um, so I knew that was going to be your answer. Yeah. I was just, I was just, uh, but uh, Tim Roth. What's my favourite Tim Roth film? Yeah. I don't know. I was going to say something real obscure there, but I don't even know if it's, if it's true. I was going to say um, The Legend of 1900. Never seen it. It's a it film where he he plays a pianist who lives on a boat. It seems like a dumb place to keep a piano. Come on. <laughs> um, I don't know. I've seen I've seen a decent amount of Tim Roth films. I mean, you know that I love um, Four Rooms. Yes, I think he's fantastic in that. Yeah, he's so good. I mean, because he's like proper manic in it. 
It's so good. Yeah. Um, but I loved, I watched um, Lie to Me when that was out. And I really loved him in Lie to Me. I think his performance in Reservoir Dogs really, like, even next mm. to Steve Buscemi, Harvey Keitel, yeah. uh, Michael Madsen, like, he stands out being, yeah. like, the most, I think his character just has the biggest range mm. um, in the movie. Um, not, maybe, maybe not, like, maybe, you know, if the other actors had gotten you know, parts where they could play each side maybe a bit better, but like yeah. I'm just saying his character, the the arc he goes through, he has the biggest range of things and emotions and for that it's it's it he brings out a powerhouse performance. But I would have to agree that um Teddy Theodore <laughs> Theodore um from Four Rooms is is by far my favourite performance but um Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. He's just, it's like, he's just like perfectly manic. And I mean, he holds that movie together. Yeah. I I know in my mind that what happened was when we mentioned Four Rooms, Floyd, who's listening to this episode, went, Ice! (laughs) Um, Even, yeah, like, I don't know why people don't, well, obviously, well, I'm going through like, Sorry, I'm like three conversations ahead of myself in my own head. That's all right. Um, why don't more directors do compilation movies anymore? Because I think the last one I remember seeing, but it's not even true, was um, uh, Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino with the Grindhouse thing. Um, there's been a few. So you mean like anthologies? I just mean like like four rooms where you take four individual stories and then slap them all together with like overarching characters and callbacks and yeah. So there's been I feel like there's been a few anthologies or like things like that, um, like ensemble cast things where there's different storylines going on. Like I love actually. Oh yeah, and that's true. Like that. um, there was like a New Year's version of that and a Valentine's version of that. Um, and there's been... Let me, let me guess, hang on. If it, Love Actually is just a Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. You've got uh, the uh, the New Year's Eve one, which would be uh, uh, Resolutions, actually. <laughs> and then... Um, I think it's just called New Year's Eve. Okay, and then the... I can't the, remember what the Valentine's one is. But, uh, there's, but there's definitely a few films like that. Um, what was that one? Movie 43? Oh, my God. That is... It is like... That's very much an anthology. That is a very... For those who haven't seen Movie 43, I would highly recommend watching Movie 43 alone when you can't think of anything else to watch because you don't want to explain and you don't want to be caught watching it. I'm not saying it's explicit. (laughs) There is some parts in it that are super weird. Yes. It is not the kind of movie you want someone to walk in on halfway through and being like, what the fuck are you watching? Yeah, yeah. Because you do not want to explain that. Yeah, because there's a whole bunch of weird sequences. It is taking very famous... It's capturing what Scary Movie 1 through 3 did in a bottle, shaking it up with a bunch of Red Bull, and then just, like, popping the cap and just spraying everywhere. Like, that movie is... Bananas nuts. Yeah. Like, yeah. 
Hugh Jackman. Sorry, no, I'm not even. No, I'm not even going to. I'm not even going to say what Hugh Jackman has or does or um, very fantastic and funny performances from um, a very young. Um, Oh, um, Chloe Grace Moretz. Chloe Grace Moretz, and you've got uh, the guy who was in Superbad. Um, I can't remember his name. Damn it! I'm sorry. Which one? Um, I can't remember who's in it. Not the guy who plays Michael Lovin, was it? No. No. Who? Michael Sarah? No. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> Patrick Thorburn's in it, like. Warburton? Warburton. What did I say? Thorburton. Thorburton. God. Um, <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, just, it's just one of those movies that you just have to watch at least once in your entire life. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting movie. Yeah. But it's not, I suppose not what we're talking about right now. But, you, but my point was that there are like anthology movies. Yeah. Um, they're just not usually super mainstream. Makes sense. Um, Directors out there do more. Love actually is, but the but four rooms is very much it's four individual it, stories from individual directors. Exactly. And so there's there's who, separate yeah. four stories. It's an anthology series of four stories um, by different writers and directors uh, with different actors in it that happen in the same hotel on the same night. Um, and Tim Roth is the bellhop, and he's in all of them. Yeah. Um, and he's having the most ridiculous night of his life. Yes. Um, anyway, <laughs> should we but get back to the movies that we're actually talking about? <laughs> on the last point of what you just said, um, what was that show? You know, it was like the restaurant rescue where they used to go around to restaurants and rest- restaurants and like tidy up and do like new designs and stuff. But then there was also like a spinoff where they went to like weird bed and breakfasty, like small mar and pa hotels. I don't know what show this is. Oh, okay. Well, it was a show. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's go back to the movies. Okay. Yeah. So where were we? <laughs> where were we? Um, um, best performances by uh, Gary and Tim. We've yeah. covered that. Um, uh, best stereotypes of a majority, a minority um, religious group with... Uh, like you want to have? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think we're we're up to date there. <laughs> um, yeah, so as so we've talked about how interesting Rose of Castle Gildenstern are dead is. And um liking one and a half is supposed to be like an homage to it, but it's not it doesn't quite Yeah, no. It. it it feels like an homage to Mystery Science Theatre three thousand. Yeah. Yeah, like that's, that's it, definitely if, deliberate reference. If it had been like a throwaway in the beginning, like they're in the movie theater and watching it and being like, no, no, rewind, we have to start from the beginning. Oh no, would we get to the part where we come in? Yeah. Like, if that had been the only part of the movie mm-hmm. that that movie part, movie uh, theater audience sequence had been in, yeah, it would have been fine. Yeah. But just the fact that they keep using it, it literally became Mystery Science Theatre. Yeah, thousand. and it's even like they, you know, pause the movie at dramatic moments and go to the toilet and stuff. And it's like, okay, yeah, cool. This is a great time for a joke, I guess. Yeah, it's just, it was weird. Yeah. It was a very weird tone or pace. Um, I also, I, I never liked the fact that, because um, in the first 
Lion King film, you kind of get the impression that Tupon and Pumbaa have been living this lifestyle for a long time yeah, together. Yeah. And this film is literally like the day that they find this place. So literally, their whole thing is that... No, because it's this a weird thing, because I, I agree with you a little bit, but I'm going to have to um, uh, interject there. You mentioned when we'd finished the movie or possibly during the end of end third quarter of the movie, mm-hmm. um, the time skips are super weird. Yeah. So it's because you show there's quite a little bit of very young Simba, mm-hmm. like as in when they've just got together. Then um, there's the middle part where he's sort of got some of a mane, but not quite. Yeah, it's like and then teenage Simba. And then it's a fully, like, yeah. adult Simba right before they meet Nala. Yeah. And in the background, his mother, vo- voiced by the same voice actor who voiced Marge Simpson, is looking for him. Mm-hmm. And then I made that joke that um, Jordan told me once, which was fantastic, uh, which I won't put on here. Um... And the, yeah, the, that, that whole, like, background of, like, how much time has gone past? Because, what, was it two and a half years before lions reach sexual maturity? I don't, I'm not sure. That you, did you look it up? Is that not common knowledge that everybody knows? I oh, know, I just wasn't sure of the exact time frame, but oh, okay. I thought you were asking me, and I'm like, I don't, I don't have that information in my brain. Oh, okay. Well, I do. Okay. So anyway, it's approximately two and a half years before the lion reaches sexual maturity. Um, okay. The... I was doing my, my doco narrator voice. Yeah, I got it. Okay. Um, are you Googling it? Yeah, it says two years old. Yeah. So, so, the, so it's been, they've been together for two years, so the whole... Yeah, you're right and wrong at the same time. It's, it's, a, it's a... How long have they been together before Simba arrives? Because they've obviously been doing, they've become bored with just hanging out in the jungle. They're making up weird games. So obviously they've been there for. But it doesn't make any sense because the day that they find their jungle, or the day that they find their jungle thing, is, is, after, the, is the day after the stampede. And when the stampede happens, Simba runs away, ends up in the desert, collapses from heat exhaustion, and is found by Timon and Pumbaa. It's the same day. You're right. So it doesn't make any sense. The time frame makes no sense. So literally, they meet They meet each other on the day that Simba is born. Yeah. And then they get to like the watering hole on the other side of Pride Rock, and then suddenly Can't Wait to Be King is happening, even though that's not immediately after Simba is born, that's several months later. And then... You know, they go to the elephant graveyard at the same day that Simba's there, and then they go to the gorge this day of the stampede, and then they find their place, and they sing their Hakuna Matata song, and they're, you know, doing stuff, and then they find Simba. But it's the same day that they got there. It doesn't make any sense. Because they bring him back to this place, and they show, you know, teach him how to eat bugs, and they're all, you know, like you know, teaching them their way of life, but they only literally made the way of life that day. So what you're so, so now explaining is <laughs> they are more closely linked than I originally thought. What because the time-skipping in Rosencrantz and Guildenstern and Dead is very, like, true. sub-reality. Absolutely true, yeah. 
Yeah, there's there's location and time jumps in Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead that don't make any sense, yeah. really. And yeah, the same thing is happening in like in one and a half. Well, we've done it, folks. We're finally <laughs> we're finally at taken toad it. Um, we've matched two movies together. Uh, we can all go home, have a beer, celebrate. We are home, and oh, we don't drink. That's true. Oh my god. We have to keep doing this podcast for years until we run out of movies. <laughs> um. Yeah, so it's weird. Just the time doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. But maybe that's the whole point, like you said, because there's an homage to Rosengrad's Guilds that are dead, which is very much commenting on the fact that time makes no sense in on stage. Yeah. And that, you know, the, the, the stage can change around you and you're just standing there like, was I here? Is that going to go? Like, what is happening? And, you know, people are talking, you know, they, they, they talk to the king and he's, you know, telling them about, like, why he sent for them, and then they're like, but, like, do, you know, they just join, they just take what anyone says as truth because they have, they have no memories to counteract it. Yeah, it was very fascinating watching it for the first time. I yeah. don't think it would be something I'd reach for again for, like, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I wonder if the mic is picking it up. His his stomach just made like a gurgly noise if the mic didn't pick it up. Um, the uh, it does it. It is active. Um, <laughs> it always hungers. The yeah, it'd be something I'd pick up again in like maybe fifteen years time, just randomly <laughs> like oh yeah, I should do that. Yeah, know. yeah. It's not it's not something I'd put on the calendar. Right. Like we have with several movies that we watch annually. Mm. I'm just thinking that my mum my is probably not going to be happy with this episode because she really doesn't like this play. Okay. And we went to see it. Like I said, my brother performed in it. And it's yep. literally, you know, there's two main characters in this. There's basically, for most, of, for most of it, there's only two people. So her son was on stage for the entire thing and, like, he would look up into the audience and she'd be checking her watch and falling asleep. Um... <laughs> she's very supportive she, she she loves like every other piece of work he's ever done but she will straight up tell anyone that she does not like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead she thinks it's like the worst play of all time I really enjoy it I think the writing is really clever yeah yeah I was trying to think of a, a worse play but my mind went blank <laughs> I'm sure there are worse plays yeah well um I was gonna say box office and budget, but uh, there's a running theme with these. Uh, straight to straight to VHS and straight to DVD movies don't really explain how much they cost and how much they made yeah. because uh, it's probably incalculable, incalculable by even their distribution. Yeah. Because you know, if a company say, uh, well, I'll just take JB Hi-Fi because it's the one I always jump to buys X amount of copies of said movie at full price when it comes out and then six of them throughout the, the nationwide stores or international, well it's actually international, um, end up in the bargain bin, like, but they pull, pull you know, they're paying less, you know, $5 for mm. what it was, was it, the one that I always used to buy, 3 for 20 um, from the warehouse. Like, I know for a fact it costs $2.00 to make a DVD, including case and, and that's without shipping. Mm. So if you're selling it for five bucks, how much did you buy it for in the first place, you know? Yeah. Um, 
So we'll go to IMDb trivia, shall we? Yeah. Uh, there's not a whole lot, to be honest. And even like that, with, like you said, with the budget and box office, like I just didn't even bother taking it down. I couldn't find budget for either of them. I'm sure they're out there somewhere, but I'm, you know, considering, considering box office was not a thing, I think, because I had a quick look and I think um, IMDb listed Lanky One and a Half's box office as like one and a half thousand dollars or something. But if it didn't have a movie release, how uh, yeah, it I don't know. Office? I don't know. And um, how does it have a box I office? I think Rosie and Gildenstern or Dead was like seven hundred thousand or something equivalent to that, something around that. I think. But again, it didn't really matter because I don't have budgets for them, and they're not really. You can't compare those numbers. No. Um, in terms of trivia, uh, not a whole lot. Um, the yeah, the only, the only, literally the only piece of trivia I took down from Lanking One and a Half was that they framed it like an episode of Mystery Side of 3000, which we've talked about a hundred times. Well, maybe not a hundred, it'd be hyperbole, but... Um, in terms of um, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, pretty much all of the trivia was about casting. Right. So first of all, um, when Gary Oldman and Tim Roth were originally cast, they were cast the other way around. Makes sense. Which is funny because that's like a whole yeah. plot meme thing in, in the movie is that they, they do keep mixing themselves up. Yeah. But they had originally been cast in opposite roles. Um, Tim Roth was cast first. Um, so he was cast as Rosencrantz first. And then when they were looking for someone else, uh, he suggested Richard E. Grant, which would have been an interesting combo. Yeah. And then it ended up going to Gary Oldman. Um, they wanted, or they had originally cast Sean Connery as the Player King. Right. Um, but he ditched the film because he was cast in The Hunt for Red October, which had a bigger paycheck. Yeah, of course it did. Um, which makes sense because he probably would have been much more well known for that than yeah. he would ever have been for Rosencrantz and Sinnerhead. At one point, they had they were trying to get Sting to play Hamlet. I think that would have been fun. Yeah. Because it's 91, so it would be, what, five years after Dune? Yeah. Um, God, he's so good in Dune. <laughs> so it would be fun to have Sting. Do you know what I was thinking? Sorry, um, on that Sting note. Yeah. Um, I am so excited for when Dune Part 2 comes out. Mm. Because I just, you know, I know you were like... The entire movie felt like a giant, giant trailer. Yeah, the entire movie was a trailer for the next movie. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> like, I was on the balcony the other day thinking about it, and I was like, send more dunes. Send more dunes. Do- we, yeah, we'll have to call the episode that. Yeah, it's, yeah. Now, it's now a headcanon within the fan club. <laughs> the tours. Or send in the dunes. Yeah. Um, send in the dunes. Oh, my God. Um, so the, so Rosencrantz and Gildenstern are dead as a play was written in the 60s. Right. Um, and, um, they had planned a film adaptation of it in the 60s, um, but then MGM never greenlit the movie, so they had, MGM had bought the rights for $200,000. Of course they did. And then they never made the movie. Of course. And then Tom Stoppard ended up making his own movie in the, in the 90s. But, um, the cast that they wanted for the, um... It would, would have been 1968. They wanted Michael Caine and Terence Stamp to be Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. I think that would have been an interesting movie to watch. Um, Michael Caine and anything. Yeah, so they were going to have then Laurence Olivier as the Player King, 
Albert Finney as Claudius, Maggie Smith as Gertrude, um, and then they were going to also have um, Donald Sutherland and Elliot Gould. Hmm. Yeah, someone with a really interesting cast. Yeah, it's like, uh, have you seen the cast list for Third Mate Avengers in the 90s? Oh, yeah, but that's that's not like they were actually planning to do it. It's just people... You reckon? You reckon they weren't playing? I reckon they were just waiting until the CGI got good enough. Mm, maybe. But um, but those those aren't, like, casts that had been, like, planned for it. Those are people saying this is who would have been these roles. True, the maybe. Um, and then the only other note I had was um, that Tim Roth had been considered originally for the role of Severus Snape in the Harry Potter films. Um, which is fun because then obviously Gary Oldman played um, Sirius Black yeah. and um, Daniel Radcliffe and Timothy Spall both have played Rosencrantz on, in stage productions everything's linked through Shakespeare yeah well I think a lot of British actors do through Shakespeare yeah because well, that's real acting yeah no offence <laughs> to Americans and their Disney kids school of um drug addiction and, and uh, screwed up childhoods but I think to be a real actor I think you have to stay on stage and go and you know show your chops and not just be like generic child with brown hair hair stand in front of these disgusting I mean, child I, hungry I do producers. think uh, I do think Daniel Radcliffe started out as generic child with brown hair standing in front of producers that's how he got his start yeah, but that's, <laughs> I'm so, yeah, but I'm saying, like, as adults where you're like, I'm going to be an actor. Yeah. That's why um, Patrick, Sir Patrick Stewart's performances in Star Trek alone were just, like, a next level above Shatner. Because mm. Shatner was just like, well, Shatner. Um, yeah. There's no, it's like trying to put um, uh Nicholas Cage in a bottle, like you, you in a box. You can't, you can't label that. Like yeah. Shatner, it's, especially because he leaned heavily into it further and further into his career. Right. Um, but yeah, just in the comparison, like if we, no, you never will. But if you watch two, like the heights of them, the the perfect example is Generations. Sorry, I'm going on a random tangent here. It's like, okay. If you watch Generations and you look at the acting difference, like Shatner's good for his age mm-hmm. and where he is in his career and like you know coming back to a character he hasn't played in several you know versus um picard uh, uh patrick stewart who was playing a character he'd been playing for literally years up to that point just like the the straight stream dominance i think is just a little bit better when you're when you're a, a true thespian a thespian yeah, yeah that's what i was gonna say is the, the the gary oldman cameo in friends yeah Yes, exactly. You have to enunciate. Yeah, when they're just spitting in each other's eyes. Yeah. Because that's you proper acting. Yeah. You just keep spitting up your liberties. Ross, the largest of the friends, why didn't you just simply (laughs) ex the others? All right, on that note, uh, is there anything more you want to add about the films? Or you want to wrap up? Yeah, I'll wrap up. I think there's there's a nice, you know, nice finale to it. Okay, fair enough. Um, I've been Lisa, you've been Nick, thank you for... <laughs> Hang on, that's your reset. <laughs> wrong, wrong podcast. Um, yeah, so if you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at ittakes2pod, underscore pod, or on Facebook at ittakes2pod, and our website is ittakes2.co.nz. 
Thank you for joining us, and we hope to see you with our eyes next time. Goodbye. <laughs>